once again, uh, please shut the door, lock it, uh, spin that lock, make sure the towel's properly positioned. You're walking in on another $5 buzz. Uh, it's special tonight because two of the buzzards are on location together at a studio in West Hollywood, Roger Mayer, Pete Liska, together at the same place for the first time. How's that going, guys? That's well, fantastic. You know? <laughs> Roger's outside. I'm inside. I, I, yeah, that's right. I'm always outside. <laughs> okay, Roger, make sure uh, that the towel is properly positioned. A little further up north, uh, we have a special guest tonight, uh, Walter Monster Ryan up in Oakland. How's it going, Walter? Amazing. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, we really appreciate your time. And uh, Walter's played drums professionally uh, for many decades now. He's played in some very uh, uh, influential bands such as Possessed, DRI. He's played with Machine Head, uh, West Coast-based bands. And then uh, he's played for quite a bit of time uh, on the East Coast with some very uh, well-known bands in the New York hardcore scene like Madball, Sub-Zero, Marauder, etc. Walter, uh, this has kind of been an unprecedented time in terms of not being able to get out on the road and play. Has it been... Uh, good for you creatively uh not like have you have artists been able to you know create more or is it more just you know are you kind of anxious like just wanting to get out there what's it been like you know uh actually all of that yeah it's been all of that for real like uh I was very lucky because um I had time off obviously because I was managing strip clubs and uh we had to shut them down so I luckily had a, an electronic drum set. So right. I started writing beats and recording riffs. And then I just would call and talk to random people that were friends of mine that were bomb ass musicians all over the place. And we just started writing. Shit. And I would email a drum beat and a riff to someone and then they would fucking mail me back a guitar part, a bass part and a, a, and a lyrics. And we'd have songs. Somebody would be like, whoa, this is crazy. And then after a while, I started doing videos with people. So I would do like cover songs. Like we did a Sick of It All song. Um, I did a, a, a System of a Down song, a Sepultura song, uh, The Exploited. Like, it, it's crazy, man. So I, you're I, still I, able I to it. collaborate with uh, artists. And uh, it, it's not, even though it's not the same as being out there playing live, it's still nice to have a creative outlet, right? Yeah, definitely. And um, I actually linked up with uh, so an old band of mine, and I'm that's why I'm here as well. So awesome, cool. Well, we're I want to hear all about that stuff, but I just wanted to, you know, first of all, I didn't uh, introduce myself. My name is George Curson. I'm from the Nassau County Department of Public Works, and um, <laughs> there's a guy, John Stewart out there uh you know i we know what you did out there in tapes and records at store and uh we don't want you coming out for hockey john this season how you doing john <laughs> what's up buzzards i'm doing yeah, terrific. Thank and you. john you're up in uh court de madero correct right up there yes, in marin i'm county. on the mean streets of marin county yeah and you know for people that don't know <laughs> marin county it's this beautiful part of uh the world you know in between uh the city of san francisco and uh Napa wine country and John, uh, you know, it's a, it is a very comforting place, but you know, your story story starts out, you know, like mine out in Long Island, New York. And, uh, you know, you, you grew up in a town called Oyster Bay. And one of the interesting things I thought, uh, 
when I pulled into town to uh, pick you up to go back to school was, uh, you know, one of your neighbors was a pretty high profile guy in the mid nineties. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, John Gotti Jr. Moved in down the street. Yeah. Junior. He, he was pretty active in the early nineties, wasn't he? Yeah. Which I thought was terrific. My parents were mortified. Uh, those guys would be out at like wife beaters on jet skis and shit. On <laughs> it was fucking hysterical. Uh, yeah. My, my, my mother especially was not pleased. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I noticed, John, is that um, you did play, you know, joking around, you did play hockey in uh, your early time, uh, your earlier age. And it's funny, like a lot of the guys you played with, I went to high school with. So I walk into your house, this really beautiful house, John Gotti Jr.'s outside in a, uh, a strapless tee or whatever he was wearing. And, uh, you know, I see some of my buddies like uh, Mike, um, Jameson Blom, a guy I grew up with, and another guy. All these guys that played hockey, you were playing. Do you remember anything about playing with those guys? I do, yeah, because I was home. Um, I had just been tossed out of my first boarding school, and so I was home uh, living with my parents when I was 15. And I, I made the team for um, the Junior Rounders, which was yeah. uh, it was a Junior C team. I was the youngest kid on the team. I, you know, I was a goalie back then. And I just had a bunch of rough kids out from the South Shore on Long yeah. Island. Um, I saw that picture. I'm like, Stuart, you were with these guys. I mean, yeah. how, like, how did yeah. they maintain this? Uh, all these fucking I don't, it wild was kids. Yeah. Really random. I played on the junior Islanders like a, um, it was like a tournament team when I was 13. And so I just kind of ran it back when I came back to, to Long Island. And yeah, those guys were great. Brian Talismatic and uh, another, a couple of guys, I can't quite remember their names, but they were rough and tough yeah. and they put a different style of hockey and I fucking loved it. Yeah. Well, John, I know you, uh, spent time in other parts of New York, like Lake Placid and Albany and Troy. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Troy, Walter, that's kind of where your st uh, story starts, right? You grew up in New York and uh, you were playing drums. Like what were some of the bands that you were listening to? Like, were there certain drummers that you really uh, were influenced by uh, when you first started playing before you were like, Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Um, my influences go way back i mean i really like the drummer for james brown and um sample of millions of times in hip-hop right well yeah the funky i think drummer probably, yeah. i might even have the most ever mm -hmm. sampled you know but yeah i grew up on like a lot of funk and and, and uh, motown and oldies and sh stuff like that because that was the stuff that my my parents were listening to and um i i don't know man there's something about the beat the drums that were just dope like uh, I used to bang on the furniture with my dad's drumsticks. My pops used to get down. And uh, I guess that just kind of in my blood, you know? So yeah, um, being very lucky. But like when I got to be older and I started to really like kind of get through my own thing as far as my own kind of music and whatnot, um, I, I really started to like get into drummers like uh, Clive Burr. He was the first drummer for Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And um and also uh, Merciful Fates drummer Kim Ruz, he was one of my favorites. And of course, and Walter, would you say like those early Iron Maiden records, they kind of they had a different singer too. It, it, it's not like the Iron oh, Maiden yeah. that most people know. It was kind of called like Diana. Yeah, it was like a punk rock, like Iron yeah, Maiden. Yeah, that's like why a I like British them. punk rock band, right? Uh, I've, 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 it was weird. Like I got into punk before I got into metal, mm -hmm. and I I went from like I don't know R and B and fucking soul and uh funk and all that shit and i just went once i heard punk i was hooked and then 
Uh, later it was metal. Um, then it was like speed metal because like, you know, Slayer and all them came out and I was like, this is amazing. And then Dave Lombardo is also a huge influence on me as well. And um, yeah, bro. And then after that, like once I heard hardcore, I was like, this is the shit because this is a mix of both. This is a mix of everything. This is this is street. This is attitude. This is, you know, this is punk. This is this is metal. It's, it's even got a little hip hop in it. It's, it's yeah. fucking sick. Yeah. And, so, yeah. And I know that you, uh, you left the East coast, you found yourself out in the East Bay of, uh, Cal, you know, uh, San Francisco Bay area, Oakland. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you just happened to arrive at when this kind of new type of scene was jumping off. And, uh, Roger was, you, you knew quite a, a little bit about what was going on. What do you remember about that early? What Walter, would you say like that 80, 81, 82, is that accurate? Yeah, early 80s was definitely accurate. Roger do you remember anything cool about that that time period in California the the scene out there well yeah I mean every I'm a Minutemen fan Black Flag fan I mean it was you know it's everything was down at down here everything was in Orange County you know it was always Orange County Orange County Orange County Oxnard too really. well yeah that's right Oxnard but uh you know I grew up on SST records and Greg Ginn and and uh and all of the band of this uh what's it the stains and even the earlier bands like the skulls the stitches the um all from los angeles the weirdos uh the germs of course so that was uh that was kind of what was what was going on popping off down here but also new wave was hitting you know like a like a monster crash down here so <clears throat> it, was, it was hardcore is different down here you know up in san francisco of course you had the dead kennedys and east bay ray and all that you know so you had uh you you had with uh, Jello Biafra, it, it, San Francisco was kind of a weird scene. In in um, <laughs> explain actually tell people about what was going on in San Francisco when I was around that time in the nineteen eighties. I know I lit I didn't get to San Francisco until the early nineties when grunge was sort of took over everything and grunge and funk. I, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's when I lived in in uh, in San Francisco. Tell us about then in um, San Francisco. In the early yeah, 80s. I mean I. I was I was very lucky. I mean, I I moved to uh, California like in seventy nine eighty, so I was like I don't know twelve maybe or something thirteen, and um, I don't know. I just like I said, we moved I moved around a lot when I was little, and uh, when we got here, I just needed to latch onto something. I needed to do something, you know. I was a super, you know, I was super good baseball but I also loved music, like drumming. I was like air drumming ever since I was a baby in diapers. So any type of music I would listen to, I kind of knew what I was doing. It was just weird. And then, uh, but like when I first started to listen to music out there, when I moved to California, it was uh, the Exploited, you know, I Discharge, GBH. Yeah, you know, it was Black that Black, too. That's Red right. Yeah. You know, I was really into that type of shit. And you know, the Misfits, like all these other bands. I always liked the Ramones, you know, all that shit, you know, and, uh, and then I... Isn't it funny, though, how most punk rock documentaries always stop right at hardcore? They, they always talk to you yeah. about, the, they start with the Velvet Underground, right? And the Stooges, and they go all the way, maybe Black Flag, maybe Black uh, Bad Brains, and yeah. then that's it. Then it stops. It goes off a cliff. Yeah. There's just nowhere to be found. Like, I'm waiting, sitting in front of the TV, waiting. Like, this is it. Here's our chance. Here's our big moment here. 
and yeah. it's over. That's it. It's always <laughs> so weird. But I was like, you know, I was really, really, I guess at that time, I wasn't one of those kids that was like, oh, it's either, because back then you were either punk or That's you right. were either metal. You were, not, you were not both. You were either metal or you yeah. were punk. Oh, I know. That's but right. I, I and I was actually, metal first. I was metal before I was punk. Oh, okay. That was the opposite of you. Yeah, but I liked both. I really did. I just didn't really like, you know, like go around specific shows at specific times because you know you'd get fucking beat up. That's right. You'd get jumped. Just, you know? And I was lucky because I was so really, weird. really young, like around 18. I started working at the Stone. I started working at the Omni. I started working at Berkeley Square, you know. And so you must even, have seen everybody come through like at that. Oh, like, yeah. Metallica was playing a lot in San Francisco in that time, weren't they? Yeah, definitely, bro. And Operation um, Ivy, would do you, do you remember those guys coming up? I do. Like, uh, um, Operation Ivy and... used to actually open for a band that I was in. I was at the, I was in this uh, punk band called uh, Paranoia at the time. Right. And uh, back then, one of my favorite drummers was Chris Contos. He's from the Bay Area, and he was an attitude adjustment at the time. And uh, I just loved his style. I was like, fuck, man, I feel like I can relate to this guy, you know? And we, we you know, we, he's definitely got his style. I definitely got my style, but I feel like there's, there's a lot of similarities there. And on top of that, he's just a fucking, he's a brother of mine. I fucking love him to death. And, um, but like, I, I used to love watching him play because he was just, he was fucking in it, man. Like he was in it to win it. And like, they were brutal. They were one of the most brutal bands back then. And uh, DRI too, man, like DRI, you know, if it wasn't for them, I mean, fuck, man, come on. I used to see DRI with JFA over at the Fender's Ballroom. That was a popular show back then. Yeah, man. I mean, dude, watching Felix drum, I was like, this motherfucking little motherfucker is an animal. And I, and now he's a homie. I fucking love that dude, man. And like, he's a huge influence on a lot of motherfuckers. Like, you know, you, you can't front, you know, I mean, I mean, the earliest picture i ever seen of dave lombardo he's rocking a dri shirt you know what i'm saying but like without that you know a lot of things didn't it wouldn't have came off you know i mean you got they took punk and metal and put it together they brought people together like the punks and the metal dudes without beating each other's asses i mean it took a minute of course like anything but Eventually, it evolved and it turned into some other shit, like you know the whole thrash movement and the crossover. I, I always thought the first real band that did that was Motorhead. It was the first oh, real Motorhead band. Was where, fucking awesome. I mean, if you were punk or you were metal, somehow it, they didn't escape you. I think you you loved them no matter what. But but it did. But it took a while, right, for those two scenes to really yeah. merge. And that that's that's I think really happens around mid eighties, right? Yeah. But when that really starts to merge together. Yeah, and like then, DRI came out like 81, 82. I mean, yeah, fuck, that's man. 81. And it, but and when they so, really busted out, you know? Yeah, that's right. When and it, it really when did busted you, out, yeah. When, so when did you start playing? When did you, I when started did you playing sneak your drums. way into a band? Once my uh, once I got a drum set, <laughs> uh, my parents actually bought me a drum set. I was probably like, I don't know, maybe 15 or something. 16. And um, I started playing drums with my my brother who was playing guitar my brother tony and we started this little punk band with his friend charles and that was that was it i was like 
hooked. We sucked, but it was mad fun. And I was hooked. I loved it. And I and I actually still have a, he has my brother has a cassette of us still. And I listened to him like, yo, we weren't really that bad for being shitty. Cause like <laughs> I've literally just been playing on a drum set for like, I don't know, maybe a week, you know? And uh not that much longer after that, I ended up in um trying out for this band called Chronic Plague. And uh some of the guys from that band are I still talk to them to this day. And uh, Ron, the bass player, was in neurosis for a very long time. And, um, it, you know, I, I fucking, I love that band, but we broke up mad quick and I ended up just bummed. And then we went out, partied afterwards and that was it. I, I ran into some other dudes that needed a drummer. And I was like, fuck it, I'll try out. And that was paranoia. And then like three months later, I was recording a record with them. So... That's when it all started, man. First Amazing. tour ever, I was hooked. Right and on. I, I just fell in love with it. Is there a particular place or city or, or part of the world that you really, either the fans were really amazing or you really were just attracted to and you like to be at? I, honestly, and I'm not trying to just say this to say this, but it, it's, it's everywhere and it's yeah. everyone because, uh, Everywhere I go, I always meet somebody mad cool. Or I always link up with someone that I've already linked up with, and they're mad cool. And then That's they great. introduce me to more mad cool people. Or I go and talk and meet somebody randomly about whatever and start talking to them. And uh, I love that. And then just not like being, I like to go out, learn about cultures and learn about new things and see things. I love looking at architecture and I'm a total into nature and shit. And like wherever I can see it in a different place that I've never been to, is is it's awesome. That's an artist, man. That's an artist's brain. It doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, and uh, I got a question. This applies to you too, John. Um, what would be if you had to say if there was a moment that that really convinced you that this was this this genre of music, this was my thing. This was this was where this was what my life this is a part of my life, no matter what is, is my interests are, are wild, but this is my music. These are, this, this is my community. These are, and these are my folks. And if you could give us some insight, cause I find, I, I, I love the music, I, you know, but I love, I'm really fascinated by folks like yourself that are in it and in it and for real, for better, or for worse and all the way. And if, if there was, if there's something you could you share with us that really did that to you, I would love to know. You want to age, go first, John? Age before beauty or the other way around? <laughs> <laughs> John, John, let's hear yours because, you know, I want to, I, I want to, I, I, you know, John's an old dear friend of mine. I know John very well. And, you know, he speaks nothing but fondly of you, Walter. And, uh, and you know, so to get a peek into what to a, a friend from his, from a world that he's very into is, it, it means a lot to me just as a friend on a friendship level, not only. <laughs> Is a, has an interesting topic level. So yeah, John, what, what did it, dude? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I was telling you guys, when I, you know, went to public high school, you know, this is 93, um, you know, my friends locally there who I'd never known before they lived right down the street but because we went to different schools, we'd never met each other. Um, they got me into hardcore and like, you know, just into local bands like VOD, uh, Vision of Disorder. And then the usual, you know, um, the usual, you know, New York bands that, you know, you guys mentioned already. 
Uh, and then they took me to a show. And as soon as I walked in, I could tell immediately, you know, um, it was, you know, I had been to shows before to, to Roseland and, you know, all the big venues around New York, but, you know, parkour shows were played at, you know, probably, you know, not the nicest corners of the earth. And so, you know, you roll in and, and you know, as like, as an adult now, it doesn't, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, intimidated, but when you're 15 years old, you know, it's, it's a little scary. Yeah. Um, but I could tell there was like this organized sort of schoolyard rules thing happening. That was the first thing I noticed. Um, and then, you know, as soon as those guys started tuning guitars down to drop D, just the hair just stood up on my arm. And then it just boom, jumped off. And then instead of being this like sort of corny kind of mosh pit where everyone's running into each other and that whole thing, like guys were dancing. That's when I learned that first term in, in 93. And that's a whole nother discussion, which I can, you know, get into. But I was like, there's something different here. I feel like there is, you know, there's something these guys know that that the average maybe person who likes heavier music doesn't know. But you and, know what you, you know what I think it might be? And I'm, this is kind of just occurring to me, but there's a lack of pretension in both of your personalities and there's a lack of pretension in hardcore music it's just yeah. straight what it is and yeah. i think i think that on the positive side that's where your personalities mirror that music that lack of pretension what you see is what you get we're not you know this is how we are and and and, and it's such a seems to be such a very healthy way to to get some emotion out when you need to, too. Well, that was it, imagine. too. You know, it, like I could tell, you know, people were taking care of each other, too. If you hit the ground, someone picked you up. You know, back then, if you looked at like, you know, whatever, Woodstock or something in 94, people were running into each other. People are getting trampled. Girls are getting trampled on. Th that's not what we do. You know, there's yeah. a couple of people there. If you hit the ground, you're in harm's way. Someone picks you up. You know, um, if you don't want to dance and don't want to get in the middle, you can sit in the back. That's fine, too. Yeah. Uh, you can participate as much as you want to. It's a community um, it's a community but you know like i said like that was the moment you know those guys I, I can't remember which show it was i'm sure it was vod and you know they're starting they start to warm up and you could just see everyone move up and like my heart was like whoa what's happening here you know you could tell yeah. the dudes that were going to participate in this way and at that age i was like all right let me step back you know i'm not ready <laughs> you know and it just it jumped off and I, from there i was like yes i'm in i'm hooked i bought i was buying everyone's demo tape reading who you know what bands were thanking who and and it just went from there and then i you know i could talk about upstate too because i definitely want to you know mention those guys that scene is amazing up in albany and troy and we can get into that later but but yeah. you know but it does make sense man i mean especially when you're at 15 16 years old and and i think we can all relate to that idea that you step into a place and you know all of a sudden you're not no one cares what you're doing you, you're not being judged and you can do whatever you want you can freak out how you want to freak out we've talked about this even before with I other had people no business being there you know, i really so. didn't yeah that's it pete like traditionally you know hardcore is like this street kids blue collar kids i didn't come from that background you know what i mean but no one treated me different and what i figured out you know there was you know you act appropriately you know you kind of figure out the schoolyard rules, you're fine. That's it. Yeah. You come in and act like an idiot, you're going to get treated like one <laughs> that out really quickly. Um, and, you know, I love that. I was like, dude, there's no fucking teachers or there's like one bouncer who's like, you know, reading a magazine. It's like, we just policed it ourselves. It's definitely like the stupid games get stupid prizes scene. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. it's, it's it. You know, you want to run around and punch people and stuff like that. You're going to get your head used as a tool, <laughs> you know, in the back. And that's not like, we don't want any of that at all, but you know, it, whatever it's self-regulating. Awesome. And Walter, you Roger, hey, real quick, John, are you surrounded by geese or something? 
I keep hearing no, geese coming from your microphone. I um, think it says swivel chair you're in. No, I'm not. I'm I'm standing. Um, oh, that's weird. Oh. I keep I keep hearing. You guys hear that? There was like a little. No, I haven't heard. All that. right, then that's just me. Oh. That's just me. Out there, Roger. This was a nice break in the action, though, Roger. Fuck it, <laughs> Walter. Uh, you know, coming from the West Coast, uh, and you kind of uh, found your way to the New York hardcore scene, and you know, uh, CBGBs was you know basically uh, ground zero. For the scene and you know it's strange that the wider you know the rogers point when they talk about punk rock you know cbgb's um you know a lot of folks associate like bands like blondie or you know uh the Ramo i mean obviously the ramones are a punk rock band but you know what i came to notice you know going to a couple of shows with john is that cbgb's was really the domain of the hardcore scene you know mad ball and um marauder and agnostic front i mean that was like that was basically their venue and other people were allowed to play is that <laughs> yeah. right like what was it like yeah. rolling into like a legendary establishment and just starting to play shows in there was there something different and like elevated about playing in that venue that you know like had a lot of history to it yeah i mean i was um very honored and like humbled to even be in that place first of all all the amazing musicians that have played there regardless of what style of music they're just these people were phenomenal you know and um just to be on that same stage ripping shit up with my friends was awesome i mean you know i played the last i played the last i did the last video shoot there i was with sub-zero we did lionhearted and john was all over that video and um also, uh, I did the last uh, matinee there. I was playing with uh, Harley's band at the time. Yep, I was and, with you there, um, too. And uh, that was fucking awesome, man. Um, but I, I played a lot of shows there with different bands. And it's a fun place, man. I mean, it's just fun to even go see a show there without playing. I mean, the first time I ever walked in there, I was with fucking Vinny Stigma. So, that's I unreal. mean, that's my first show ever was with Vinny Stigma at, and, I, and we were just there to visit and hang out. I think like Killing Time was playing and a bunch of other killer bands. I was fuck, this is amazing, you know? Can, can you guys give, um, you know, a lot of the listeners probably aren't, may not be familiar with some of these bands, but can you just talk, uh, John and Walter, just talk about the magnitude of some of these guys like Carly Flanagan and Vinny Stigma and- um, yeah all these guys are like legendary musicians that oh, as years go by, John, I mean, I, I think these guys are very influential to just about oh, yeah. every significant, you know, rock musician that there is. To yeah. I mean, it's a small community, especially down the Lower East Side, you know, like Harley played dramas for the stimulators, you know, in like the seventies. Right. And then, you know, I can't remember who his aunt is. I think it's someone, you know, really famous, you know, they knew, Warhol and all that so he was going into all these clubs and and you know so anyway it, the point is it's like it was a very small community so if you were into fast and aggressive music you know you kind of knew each other and you only had probably a certain amount of clubs to play to you know I wasn't obviously not around all that back then but it doesn't surprise me when you know you hear you know that like the guys at Beastie Boys you know knew all the guys at Murphy's Law knew the guys in the Red Hot Chili Peppers and, you know, they knew the guys in Metallica or Pantera or, you know, it was a much smaller community. Now it's much bigger, which is great. You know, that was the whole purpose of it. 
was to bring it, you know, bring it a little bit more, you know, global. Um, but yeah. But I, I mean, think like, I, well, I think it's fair to say that as far as CBGB's is concerned, if you, if you played on that stage, for one thing, you, you're part of a, a community of people that's never going to happen again because it's closed. It's yeah. that legendary place. That's, that's fucking cool in and of itself. Yeah. Just having been there, the three times I've, I was ever there, once with a, I went to a hardcore uh, kind of like all day affair with John years ago, and that oh, yeah. was a, a pretty amazing experience. But I mean, to have a piece of that, you know, that you own, like, yeah, I played on that stage. I mean, it's as big as it, it's as known as any venue for as little as it is, it's as known as any famous venue in the world. It's got to yeah. be, you know, yeah, there was always like. You know, Wetlands was dope. Uh, yeah. Back then, we used to play the Independent before it was all weirded out. And then um, Coney Island High was awesome. And um, Lemoore's, was that in Brooklyn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lemoore's. Yeah. Um, and you had 7A and shit. And that was, you know, Manitobas. And, you know, we used yeah. to have the places we used to go and the things we used to do, you know. But I... I you know, I really, I soaked it all in. I soaked it up. I loved every minute of it. And I'll cherish all those memories forever, man. Like The cool thing about it, and I, you know, I think Walter can attest to this too, is that like, you know, you grow up and, and you have your, your favorite bands and, and we all did as kids, you know, you, you know, Walter talked about like funk and this, I'm sure, you know, you had singers and, and groups that you probably would have loved to meet. Right. You know, and you have these bigger bands that, you know, are only on TV or you see in stadiums. You know, but the cool thing about hardcore was that, you know, once you really sunk into it and you really became, you know, and just committed and enthusiastic about it, you know, you got to meet those guys, Yeah. you know, or at the very least, you know, you were right there, you know, piling on stage and got to maybe sing a lyric or two or, or jump off stage or something. It was like, there was very little barrier to entry in that way. Yeah. It's one of the only like uh, shows or genres of music where, you know, that you can you can get on stage and, you know, sing lyrics and, you know, get as close as physically possible to, you, you want, know, some of these exactly. larger than life people, like really larger than life people. John, yeah. I remember one time uh, you and I were at CBGB's and we were standing next to uh, Adam Yauk from, uh, <laughs> from MC, uh, MCA from the Beastie Boys. And he came, was that the Cro-Mags he was? Like, that was who the did, yeah. Yeah, he strapped on the bass and this guy just came in, played a couple of songs and he walked out and... Yeah. It was just cool, like that. There was that scene of like open collaboration, man. You know, it was, yeah. it was really There's no cameras, no video, you know, no reporters, no, no, you know, no frills, nothing like that. The guy just, you know, that's it. Just wanted to see his friends. Wanted, to, you know, Joseph called him up. Was like, hey, man, we're playing. You want to come down? That was it. Yeah. In a way, in a way, it shouldn't be open now. You know, uh, yeah. for what it was, and for 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 what it like textually was, and how amazing it was it wouldn't do it wouldn't it all would be as a bunch of people on their phones on cameras in there and that's not what the that, that place is about <laughs> yeah you know? i think that may have still kind of happened you know anyway but you know the i mean the reality is like the clubs are so small so if you want to be on your phone and kind of do all that like you really got to go to the back and stand you know i don't know yeah. back by the ladies room or something like you, you just <laughs> you just can't you know you can't it, they're just tiny most of them not every venue obviously um, so you, you have to participate in some way or another. Like if you don't want to, you know, dance and kind of do your, do your funky thing, you know, you stand in the back, but there's really nowhere else to go other than, you know, out on the street and you can't, you know, you can't help, but to not pay attention. 
I mean, yeah. it's a, I'm taking you guys to shows. It's not like, there's not like a dull moment. You may not like it. It may be too, you know, abrasive or whatever that is, um, but you, you can't help but look away. <laughs> well, yeah, so the second part of your question, um, I guess for me, as far as hardcore goes, the first time I ever heard AF and the Chromags and the Chrome Suckers, I was super yeah those bands i mean you know and and like bad brains and stuff like that but like you know i also liked poison idea like those kind of bands those are a little bit more punk rock and roll ask you know and um that was because you know i got to see them when uh i was living on the west coast and doing my first tour ever like we ended up playing at the spot that they just played at because the flyer was up and I was like fuck which we could have met them you know like and I ended up meeting Jerry A like a little while later I was in a band called Bone Crusher in like 90 no excuse me 89 probably 90 maybe and uh we we're playing at some club in San Francisco my singer wasn't there. He didn't show up until halfway through the set. And everybody in the band was pissed off at him for not being there on time. We were crushing this show musically. And he just flying through the pit, like weaving in and out. And then he jumped on stage, grabbed the mic, started fucking singing perfectly wherever we were. Wow. And finished the song perfectly on time. And like everybody went fucking nuts in the crowd. It was like, amazing we finished the rest of the set with him it was amazing after that set i was just like and i just went straight to the bar the rest of the guys in my band grabbed the singer brought him into the alley and kicked the shit out of him so while the band was beating my singer's ass and i was sitting at the bar having a beer i'm like just kind of like looking down the bar and i there was a guy like three seats back you know past me and then I was looking beyond him, though. But he thought I was looking at him. So he's like, hey, man, is there something I can fucking help you out with? And, I, and then I just kind of, like, looked at him. And I was like, yeah, you, uh, you look like the singer in one of my fucking favorite bands. And he's like, oh, yeah? Who's that? And I was like, Jerry A, Poison Idea. And he's like, Jerry A, nice to meet you. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> And he took me out to the parking lot and opened his fucking, I think he had like a, at like, it might have been a 66 or 68 Camaro or something. And he popped the trunk and he had all this fucking records and picture discs and fucking shirts and cassettes and all this shit in there of his band. And he just sort of loaded me up with all this free wow. shit. I was like, fuck it. Fucking, <laughs> what an I was just holding That's as much shit as I could in my shirt, like uh, dumped it off of my car. He went to the bar, had a couple of drinks, and he was just the coolest motherfucker ever, dude. And yeah. I still talk to him. Like he's, I fucking love. He's the greatest guy. Wow. That's awesome, dude. That but yeah, really so awesome. like shit like that would happen, you know? Um, That's your I got community. One, I got one more quick, weird story for you guys. Please. Yeah. So this is with Vinny Stigma. So, I, it's like 95, maybe 95. And I was learning the machine head record. Um, I had to listen to burn my eyes over and over. Like, I mean, nothing but that record on a Walkman. So that's dating myself. 
And um, I listened to it all day, every day for three days because Chris was very ill and they had to fly him back in to the Bay Area to take care of him. And um, so I was, you know, waiting in line all day at like to get my visa, my passport, all this shit. Because you're gonna play. Uh, was that the Monsters of Rock show in that Castle was, Donington? Uh, it was. It was Donington. Yeah, ninety-five yeah. Donington live on MTV Headbangers Ball. Well, <laughs> this is funny, but I, I was in this. I was in this band uh, called Possessed at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, we were almost like we're at that time we we're kind of like fizzing out a little bit, and I was. Um, I uh, got a phone call from Chris's wife, Gwen. Hi, Gwen. And um, he was like, and I immediately knew something was wrong because I was like, why is she calling me and not him? And I was like, first thing I said to her was like, what's up? Is he okay? And then she was like, well, he's okay, but he's got to come home and he's in a, in a way or whatever. And I'm not going to talk about, you know, his personal shit, but um, he wasn't doing well enough to where he had to leave the band and come home. So put it that way. And um, I was just like, fuck, what do I got to do to help, you know? And they were like, well, you got to learn to burn my eyes. I was like, fuck, you know? I mean, I only seen them twice, you know? I didn't really know the music. And, you know, Chris is a fucking maniac on that record. And so I only have three days to learn that record. And, um, I didn't know that we were doing Donnie and I just knew that I was going on tour to fill in for like a few weeks or a month or whatever it was. So that was just one of the shows they were playing out in Europe, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so literally I had, I think I flew into Australia and we did like six days or five days or something in Australia first. And my first night i mean dude i didn't fucking sleep man like yeah so anyways i i listened to the record for three days like i was saying before i got on the plane and i was the last person on this plane so my seat was in the fucking back (laughs) at the very very end and it was in the middle aisle at, at the very end of the aisle and i'm sitting next to this older punk rock looking dude with mad tattoos and i'm just air drumming with the headphones on the whole time like for fucking 16 hours or whatever (laughs) wow and people were getting annoyed like in front of me because i was literally (laughs) counting on the seats and the floor i'm like you know going nuts on the floor and shit pounding air drumming everywhere and it didn't bother the dude that was next to me i was like this fucking guy's cool man so every now and then he would talk to me so i'd take my headphones off and i'm talk to this guy and i was like super cool guy you know but i was like I don't mean to be rude, but yeah, I really gotta learn this shit, you know. And like, he's like, "Oh, okay, okay, okay." And so I'm fucking, you know, rocking the fuck out. And we do this. We, I, I land. I sleep for an hour, one wow. hour when I got there, and I had to get up. I had to learn a cover song, an intro, and then go sound check. <laughs> and 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 then um, then we play like a couple hours later. So I was just a ball of fucking nerves freaking out and i never played the drums uh, on that on any drum set at all or with those guys wow it was trial birth by fire right there it was right fucking there so anyway went through didn't show it was awesome i i pulled it off and then after that week and shit was over we went to europe did a couple festivals and the couple of three, the first three festivals we do is with Madball, 
Sick of It All, and Propane. All phenomenal bands, all fucking great guys, and all New Yorkers. So when I met those guys, they were like, fucking kidnap this dude, you know? So they like, I just linked up with them mad quick because we were all like, it was like we became family immediately with these guys. Right. And they watched our set. We watched their set. We had a great time. We partied and hung out. So the old guy that I'm sitting next to on the plane ends up being fucking Vinny Stigma. <laughs> That's how I met Vinny. It wasn't in Mad Ball or in Agnostic Front. It was on this plane, <laughs> rarely and randomly. Wow. That's how I met Vinny. And fucking, he'll tell you that story to, the, to this day. We'll take a little break and we'll be right back, guys. Hey, we have a quick favor to ask. We want to get the word out and the way to help is for you to subscribe to us on either Apple or Spotify. And it would be really huge if you give us a rating and a review. Much love. All right. And we're back. Uh, Pete, thank you for reloading us there. Um, I'll take care of the towel. Make sure it's uh, covering everything. Uh, John, you know, a lot of the shows you saw and that we talked about were in New York City, but a lot of the hardcore shows, you know, uh, the bands had a big presence in Albany and Troy and other parts of upstate New York. Uh, and I know that you had some good friends that you made along the way, uh, including. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great team mm -hmm. up there. You know, I got set up there um, in 94, just when I was starting to kind of get my footing a little bit with, with hardcore. And then, um, yeah, I went to a town called Lake Placid and I, there was a, oddly enough, there was a whole bunch of hardcore kids that have been going to shows there since, you know, the eighties. And they just kind of further ingratiated me into it and, you know, said there was a huge scene down in Albany and Troy. And they introduced me to all these different bands and I just, it just solidified everything. And then once, once I went to my first show, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a club that's called a Kiwi two. It's no longer around, but was I that mean, in Albany, right? In Albany. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you could think of like, you know, something equivalent in, in the state of New York of CBGBs, that was the queue. Um, rough and tough place. And, you know, can only hold a couple hundred people at best. And you got that real intimate feeling. And it was amazing. And there was a guy, you know, that used to run a lot of the shows in there. His name was Teddy Toll. I don't know if he's still around, but he was great, man, at booking bands, not only locally, but from New York, because I think at the time there was a lot of stuff happening, you know, in the early 90s where, you know, bands weren't allowed to play. There was a lot of, you know, chaos and some violence and stuff like that. So they would go up to Albany you know, to do their thing. And, and that scene was controlled really well. This guy, Ted, you know, would get on stage and say, you know, look, we love our scene. This is a family. This is brotherhood, sisterhood, take care of each other, you know, dance your ass off and, and fucking bust up the place, but um, take care of each other. And I think that, you know, in itself, you know, that like resonated with me, you know, this is like, a, you know, aggressive music, there's scary people here and all that stuff, but really, you know, it's meant to, you know, just ventilate, let it all out, but let's take care of each other too. And so that kept me coming back. And yeah, I met a whole bunch of who are now my best friends in the world, just like you guys. Uh, and I'm just, yeah, I, I just, I love it. And I, was I really, Northern Lights part of the circuit or not so much? Yeah, it was, I think a little later. Um, yeah, it's a later. bigger venue, right, Walter? Yeah, it was later on because like, that kind of like took over after Saratoga Winters kind of, you know, went away, you know? Yeah. And uh yeah, the, I actually got to play the QE2 like in the mid 90s, late 90s. Um, great fucking vibe. Uh, now, also, uh, 
I forgot the name of that place, but there was a spot in Albany that was right near the uh, hospital. Right near the hospital. Was it Bogies? No. Valentine's? Yes. Valentine's. Valentine's, yeah. Bogies, the Hudson Buster. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, those were all like, for me, playing through there. Um, those were great spots. Great fucking people up there. Yeah. Hard, I mean, hard ass bands up there. Yeah, like those do those go those were like hardcore bands like New York has New York hardcore bands but like something about upstate has they're fucking more like I don't know if it's more anger or whatever the fuck I mean look everybody's angry everywhere for whatever but there's (laughs) just something about it it's almost like Detroit like Detroit hardcore is fucking you can hear Detroit when you hear Detroit hardcore like yeah it's like that with like Troy and Albany bands they're fucking hard dude it's hard Albany was like John. Was that uh, Earth Crisis? No, that those guys are from Syracuse. Like Syracuse. Syracuse, okay. Albany it, was more, you know, like like we said earlier, it was more like Stigmata, okay. Old Time Manor. Um, there's a bunch of straight edge bands. Um, they just, you know, it was the same. Um, Hate breed is that what? Would that be those guys are from Connecticut. Like it, Connecticut. Oh. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was a, a smaller scene, but the same. Like there were straight edge bands. There was bands that leaned a little bit more towards you know, the metal side of things that it was more traditional hardcore bands. Um, but like I said, I man, it was a smaller community, more family. And it appealed to me definitely because I was living up there at the time. And yeah, I love it. I mean, it, it's hard to flip, flip a coin, you know, between yeah. New York City and Albany. It's like, I love them both really just the same, but I probably spent a lot more time, you know, at, in the Albany Troy scene. Yeah. yeah and I, I only got to go through there while I was touring in the uh, mid nineties when I was in Madball. Um, and my first show, my first time stepping my foot back in Troy after not living there since I was about 11 or 12 was when I was in Mabel in 95 or 96. And, yeah, um, I, when John told me that you grew up in Troy, I was just curious, like, what were you thinking? Did it resonate or did you have any type of uh, emotions like going back to Troy or it didn't really matter? It's just another town. you were playing I was fucking was excited, cool. man. Cause yeah. like, this is where I was born. Yeah. Man. You know, and I hadn't lived this, like I said, since I was like 11. So mm-hmm. being fuck, I don't know how, I think it was like 23 or something or whatever, 24, maybe, you know, that was a long time, you know, in between. So mm-hmm. um, being there and, and being there with Mapball was awesome. And, um, I think we played with Stigmata and a bunch of other cool bands. And I, we did play with Stigmata. Yeah. Cause I ended up hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just amazing. And like, um, you know, meeting Bob Riley, he's like my long lost brother. I mean, <laughs> you know, we have so much in common on multiple levels and I just got so much love for that dude. Like who ain't a fucking bullet for that moment. That's and you can tell there was like, you know, I could tell early on there was this connection between New York City and Albany. Like the guys from New York yeah. City couldn't wait to get the hell out of Brooklyn and go up and see some trees. Yeah. You know, but then get into the, you know, into the hood and, and fucking and throw it down. And it was the same, you know, the same sort of attitude. But, you know, you got to get out of New York and play to a different crowd. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we had our own thing going on. And, and like I said, you know, there was people that took care of that scene really well. So, you know. I mean, one time, like, dude, my car broke down. It was like this piece of shit station wagon. <laughs> the no, Taurus wagon? 
yeah, dude, I like spent a night. I shouldn't have been down there to begin with. And, you know, something blew up. And I asked this guy, Ted, I was like, you know, I was like whining to him. Like, dude, I got to get back to Lake Placid. You know, if you and- think about if you think about Troy geographically, it makes a lot of sense. Actually, you can get anybody from upstate New York can get there within about two and a half hours. And then New York is about two and a half hours up. Yeah. And it's just outside of Albany. So there's not too much focus on it. So right. you could fucking go a little crazy out there. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, but and I'm just starting to realize I'm like, this is just right in the capital region. It's, yeah. it's in the middle of the state. Anybody can anybody that's a fan can get there. So it's kind of smart that it can it kind of makes sense. It became kind of a little hub for this for this it's, community. It's, it's, it's a jumping off point too, right? Because you can go to Connecticut, you can go over the, you know, yeah, go to Massachusetts. Right. So, you know, we would pack cars in and like mm-hmm. um, all that stuff. Anyway, yeah, that's it. It's a great scene. I miss it a ton. And like, it's, you know, great people up there. Yeah. Shout out to all my Troy and Albany people, man. Much love. Miss all yeah. you. Fucking can't wait to see you guys again, man. And how did you, John, how did you and Walter meet originally? <laughs> how did you guys become? <laughs> want me to, you want me to start this one off? No, yeah. go ahead. Do it, Masa. Go ahead. Do it. All right, so check this out, you guys. This is going to bug you out, but this is the honest-to-God truth. So my father was in the hospital. He was uh, diagnosed with uh, cancer in his liver. So they shipped him out. uh, Well, actually, his birthday was January 14th. He went into the hospital, which was Samaritan Hospital in Troy. And um, I hung out with him for a little bit. And then uh, I was like, you want me to go home or, or we stay, you want me to stay with you here? Or do you want me to, you know, I got to go on, I was supposed to go on tour with Sub-Zero, do a video shoot, all this shit. And he was like, fucking do it. Have a great time. Enjoy yourself. Don't worry. I'll see you when you get back, blah, blah, blah. Don't even trip. It's all good. And my father was like the last generation of the true, real tough guy. So I figured he's going to be fine. You know, I'll see him again. No big deal. But just in case I had to talk with him. Told him how much I loved him, respected him, thanked him for life, the whole shit. At least I got to do all that. So I peace out. I go on tour. As soon as I pull up to the front of CBGB's where John's standing right now, <laughs> um, I got the phone call that he passed away. And I'm literally got like my bass drum on my hand and I'm with my, my brother, Chad, the Vikings with me. This is his first hardcore show. First time ever fucking going to like CBGB's, all that. So I get the phone call, my dad died from cancer. My video shoot is about Lou who beat cancer twice. He's fucking beating cancer right now. I fucking love you, Lou. Stay strong, do your shit, bro. Lying fucking hearted, no doubt. So play the show in the middle of the set. Um, I told everybody what happened. And I don't know why I did that. Something pushed me to do it. I don't know fucking why, but the rest of the second half was a blur. I don't remember that. Um, I felt like I felt like this extra weird energy that hit me. And I don't know if it was my pops or what, but it was sick, whatever it was. And then we finished. And I think, John, you came up to me even middle in the middle of the shoot and also during uh, at the end of the shoot and uh, we just started kind of like, oh, you guys talking and chopping it up. And you were like, oh, man, sorry to hear about your pops. He was real cool. And I, he was just, a, you could just tell he was a great guy. And I seen him fucking moshing all over the fucking place. He was on stage. He was off stage in, in the crowd on top of people running around fucking going off. He was going off. And, um, and then we ran into each other again, upstate New York and Troy and Albany area. And I'm um, at a couple shows. 
And then I, I don't know how, but I ended up at your fucking house when you lived like right close to the towers. Yeah. With Agars, I think, and yeah. SD. We went, to the, we went to the Yankee game. Yeah. We went to so the Yankee game. We went to the Yankee game. It was fucking awesome. And uh, I actually called the Grand Slam from uh, Matsui that night. Awesome. I was jumped up on, he's going to hit fucking a home run. And SD's like, Shh, keep it down. Because we're sitting with the bleacher creatures. You yeah. know what I mean? I was yeah. like, no, 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 he's going to fucking do it. And then, boom, the next pitch, and he fucking hit a grand slam. SD's like fucking almost choking me. Yeah, motherfucker! <laughs> Dude, the, the subway back. I mean, yeah, we were oh, crazy. So, and, yeah, yo, was, we had a great time. Me and John clicked right off the fucking bat. Right off the bat. Man. I love that. That's it. And then, you know, not too long after that, this is 2005. And then 2006, things were kind of a little shaky in New York for me. And I got a job offer, you know, um, in California, in San Francisco. And he was the only guy I knew. So I texted him. I'm like, hey, man, I got to, you know, I have a job offer in San Francisco. Should I go out there? You know, things aren't really, you know, jiving so much anymore in New York. And he's like, yeah, bro, it's great. I got a fucking house by the beach, you know, the whole thing. And I was like, sweet. You know, in my head, I was like, oh, this is like, you know, okay, cool. It's like the California dream. And then uh, <laughs> I get out there and it's like, you know, it's 40 blocks from the beach. It's not exactly on the beach. <laughs> you know, you know, it's a little colder in San Francisco than it, you know, it is in San Diego. But nonetheless, you know, I was still happy to be there. And then, you know, we became boys for sure after that when I was living right down, you know, not too far. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, yo, like, you know, you, um, I was really proud of you, bro, because you, you came out. You worked your ass off, you saved up, you fucking made everything happen. And, uh, you know, you didn't let nothing deter you, man. And fucking, I'm proud of you, bro, for that. And you, you've done an amazing job this whole entire time. You're a hardworking motherfucker. You're a great guy. You fucking are an awesome dad. And uh, much love to you on that respect. If I just want to jump in one real quick, I wasn't even thinking about talking about this, but Walter, uh, you know, thanks for sharing that story. It's a personal story about your dad. And, you know, that hits home to all of us. And um, it actually brings up, speaking about John, something I tell people all the time is something that John said at his father's eulogy, actually. And I don't, I'm sure I've told you this, John, many times, but John, throughout this eulogy, which was incredible, was said at the end that his dad told him that showing up is 99% of life. And when you think about both of what you guys' stories and everything that you guys have been talking about, showing up, being in person is the most important thing. Everything else really doesn't even matter. You just, you're either there or you're not. And I have carried that story from that eulogy forever. I've, I've spread that word. It's one of my ethos showing yeah. up. If someone invites you, you go. If someone, if someone, if someone wants your company somewhere, you know yeah. what, who are you to say no? Go check yeah. it out. I, and I would encourage everybody and, and you guys, very clearly live by that and uh you know john cool. i hope i'm not talking out of turn speaking about that but i you know I, it's it's something that i've always carried with me and in the same spirit that uh walter shared that story i i i would be remiss if i didn't share that same anecdote from that experience as well nah, dude, and it's per and it dovetails perfectly into you know the hardcore thing right because you can show up and, and stand in the back and, and look at your phone or whatever and, you know, the attitude I took was, you know, I, I didn't really belong in this scene to begin with. I mean, it's an open door policy regardless. But, you know, traditionally speaking, you know, I'm not, at least then I was not, you know, your atypical person, you know, just coming from my background. And so when I did get into it, um, I was like, 
man, I feel like I've missed years, you know? And I just thought like, I'm putting 110% into this. Every time I go, I'm dancing for every fucking band. Get it I'm all out. Get you know, it I'm, all getting, I'm getting it all off my shoulders. I didn't even drink back then. I mean, at the shows, you know, uh, because you had to keep your head on a swivel a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't, I took it seriously, man. And I, you know, that, like I said, man, I was there, you know, buying everyone's t-shirts and t- I soaked it all in and I, I went 110% because those guys deserve it. And, you know, and we deserved it. And that, that was there for us, man. That was our springboard into adulthood. You know, and that's something that's really dope that you just said you reminded me, John, was you were a kid, you were just so into the music and, you know, dancing mad hard and fucking, you know, and you said buying the shirts and supporting the bands. Yeah. Concerto so, t-shirts, right, John? So, <laughs> you know, it, that's, that's, that's fucking huge, you know, awesome. and, and the whole, and, and what you said, um, Pete was showing up, communicating with people, talking with people, sharing, you know, that time with each other. It's, it's fucking huge, man. And that's, that's, that's what, you know, it is with hardcore and yeah, there's mad. I mean, people are tight as fuck in the thrash world and the metal world and death metal, speed metal, hardcore, you know, punk, whatever the fuck. But something about hardcore is just like, you know, we'll accept you if you're a hip hop kid. We'll accept you if you're an oi guy. We'll accept you if you're into just like straight metal or grind or whatever the fuck you want to call at the time. You could be fucking, you know. Uh, Louis Armstrong and shit, and we'll be like, "Yo, we'll find you a spot in a band," you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. but like, I, that's what I love about hardcore, man. It's like, who the fuck was I when I was a little kid? I, I was some little knucklehead, nerdy kid, fucking jock kid, or whatever, and I just heard music, and it just made me want to fucking knock somebody the fuck out because I loved it so much. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like, and uh, it just gave me this energy, and it just resonated with me and it made me feel like a fucking like i could be a better fucking person or something yeah that's it and there's no i mean as far as i know there's no other music scene that you know uh, wholeheartedly takes on you know playing shows and and for the benefit of anyone else but them you know someone's in trouble you know with a health condition let's have a let's have a you know let's have a benefit show someone's having some legal trouble let's have a benefit show you know, like I said earlier, you know, someone hits the ground and they're getting kind of trampled on, pick that person up. Pick them up. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and I think people wander in and think it's about, you know, all this like kind of gang stuff and being a tough guy. And there are tough people, as you guys know, you know, but it's not, that's not what it's about. It is about community, it is about supporting each other. It's about participation, getting everything out, supporting the bands. And you don't get a lot from it. You know, your friends, family, they're like, what the hell do you listen to? What is this? This is horrible. And it's, I, like I, the, it's like the yeah. definition of unity, man. Yeah, it is. And I tell people, really? like, this is not for everybody, and it is aggressive, and it's hard to, you know, to sort of take in and, and kind of understand. But once you do, once the light bulb goes on, um, if, if it does click with you, it should never really leave you. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been backstage. One of my best friends, is his name is Monkey. He's the lead singer for the band The Addicts. Before you might, yeah. And so they play a lot with... Uh, uh, these shows with GBH and uh, with uh, Exploited when the, uh, uh, Gary Tovar was a guy who brought a lot of these bands out in the uh, early 80s to mm-hmm. 
funnel his weed operation <laughs> that he had. That's how he started Golden Boys. That's another documentary that he'll be making, I'm sure, someday soon. I know. Yeah, Gary, I got it. I, I know Gary Tovar well. He started Coachella, you know, with uh, John Toilat. Anyway, so I've been backstage and seen some of the knucklehead uh, uh, Petey, the guitar player for the Addicts, get into a fight with one of the dudes. I can't remember if it was Exploited or GBH, but they were just like, the at this point, just these old men still with all the fucking testosterone, with all the energy, drinking monsters instead of alcohol and just yeah. going at it like a bunch of dorks. And then Monkey <laughs> just sitting there going, see, Rog, this is what it's like, you know, um, <laughs> every single day, you know, just watching them as they're like splaying around like a bunch of kids. Um, but the energy, you're right. The camaraderie, the energy has always been on display. It's not like, uh, you know, it's like you don't have stories like mayhem, you know, like black metal where you're taking pictures of your dead best friend who just shot himself in the head. You know, it's 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 a you guys are a bunch of softies deep down. You know, yeah. there's is an emotional softness to the hardcore, which is always kind of funny that it belies, you know, hardcore boys tend to be little boys, too. And that, well, we wear know, our that, hearts on our sleeve, bro. Absolutely, that's correct. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that's always been sort of the purity of it. You know, sometimes, you know, it gets a little mangy. There's been some, you know, some bands that, you know, probably rocked a little racism, you know, back then. And and, and yeah. it's, there's just always going to be, you know, a downside to everything. But I think proof positive for the most part, I think the genre and the scene has always been for the people that have been in the environment, the, the tribal element of it has kept it, you know, has kept it really intact. And I think it's culturally, uh, a I think there needs to be even a little more focus. I know Paul Rackman tried to do uh, a justice. I, he directed the American hardcore movie mm -hmm. and he, he started the slam dance. So he's, he's a, he's a friend of mine. I know he'd missed a lot and he didn't get this and got that, you know, maybe lean too heavily on black flag and lean too heavily on this when there's so many other bands that could have been, you know, and a lot of agnostic front, of course, but, you know, it's a scene that I think deserves a, a, a cultural merit. That's what I was saying earlier in the show, as much as any of the other bands that get all of the attention, all the love, yeah. you know, punk rock, isn't just Patti Smith. It isn't the clash. It isn't right. the sex pistols. You know, there's this whole other world, you yeah. know, that, uh, that that really has been underserved culturally as something that should be put on a pedestal. You know, you don't find it's funny that, you know, Steely Dan and shit like Madonna's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When are they going to put an American hardcore band in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that really yeah. is rock and roll? I mean, that yeah. defines fucking rock and roll. You yeah. know what I'm saying? When's Agnostic Front going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Fuck, man. I, I don't want to leave it to me, but <laughs> it would probably be agnostic from yeah, because they've yeah, been around yeah. the longest they're the fucking godfathers of hardcore like new york hardcore. yeah yeah i mean you know so it would definitely be them i mean you know fucking Vinny, dude like the shit he was writing back then was just so nasty mm. you know and that they were amazing and then i think you know Chromag should definitely be in there. And I think DRI should be in there yeah. as well for being the, the crossover band for sure. And, you know, fuck man, 
Uh, Let's start our uh, own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Fuck that shit. Let's start our own. <laughs> it should be like a hardcore Hall of Fame. It should right. be a hardcore Hall yeah, of Fame. That's right. Uh, yeah. And all the hardcore bands from all the different spots in this whole world that are fucking amazing should be in this hardcore Hall of Fame. You have to have like Murphy's Law in there and fucking on and on. And See, on. now you're going. See, yeah. there you go. And um, Walter, so I mean, what's uh, I mean, right now, what are you doing? What's next? Okay, so I actually was um, really honored. Um, I got a call from Tim, um, the guitarist, the original guitarist of MOD. And um, he and Kenny and them got together again. And they're doing five different records with five different drummers, five different artists, five different engineers. And they wanted to uh, pick five different drummers. And I was one of them. And um, I was super honored and stoked. Congrats, and, um, man. That's fucking awesome. I dude. fucking went and That's rocked great. it out in the studio like about, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago or something. And um, they're going to be putting that out, I think, in like August or September or something, maybe somewhere right around on. there. Um, so it'll be like five new songs with them. I haven't heard them yet, so I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen or whatever, but I hope everybody likes it. Um, I have another project that I'm going to be doing with a bunch of my boys that we started during this pandemic bullshit. And then the name of the band ended up being called Honor Culture. And so I need to fly out to Austin, Texas to go record all my drum tracks with them in a little while. But right now, currently, I'm in my old hardcore band from Oakland called Powerhouse. Okay. And Powerhouse... Uh, was started by Ernie Cortez and Eddie Medina and a bunch of the other fellas that are no longer with us and no longer in the band as well. Um, and uh, after 20 years, we got the band back together. Um, we are writing new music. We have, um, we're going to be in going into the studio within uh, probably like a month, month and a week or so from now. And I'll be laying down fucking like some new, we're gonna lay down a new record and uh, if anybody out there knows about Powerhouse, which I'm sure you do, um, No Regrets was the first record they released, and the second one was was uh, called What Lies Ahead. This new record is both of them, if they fuck, but more brutal. Awesome. <laughs> so we're coming Exciting. at you as hard. We're gonna be <laughs> Awesome, yeah, man. Man. When when yeah. that's released, we'll be talking about yeah, that. We'll be all, we'll be all over it, man. We'll push it, but yeah, hey, sure. it's gonna be sick. So, John Stewart. So, what are you up to? What's what's next for you? Um, <laughs> I don't have anything as glamorous as Walter. <laughs> I changed diapers. I got to fucking you know mow the lawn. Yeah, you know. <laughs> doing dishes. I'm making hot milk. sauce. Yeah. Hey, man. Yeah, talk oh, about your hot sauce. John. Yeah, let's hear about the hot sauce, man. This was a COVID thing. It was um, I think I was drinking a lot of wine and and uh, inhaling fucking weed gummies, and I just thought, <laughs> you know, what? I, I think I can do this. Yeah, uh, man. I think you should, man. I, think I was it's... skeptical about the hot sauce, but yeah. Roger and I tasted the first batch, and Roger's yeah. like, "This is good. Where is this?" And I was like, "It's John Stewart." He's like, "This is awful." <laughs> and then, Dude, I, I, said did, not. Yeah, no, I did not. I did not. It was it was awesome, dude. It's really good, man. 
so yeah, that's been fun, but mostly I'm just you, <laughs> you know, motherfucker. I'm, I'm just fucking heads down at work and uh, trying to be a you know a good weekend warrior dad. You know, uh, but Walter, is, does every city have its CBGBs or its little hub? Does it, does the does the hardcore yeah. tentacle reach to the point where every city's got its little spot where you know you can find some friends? You know, if you're passing through, you can pop in there. Is it, do you, definitely do you find that, that that's that's another thing that speaks to the incredible. The spirit of the of the community and the subgenre is that you got your you know you can find your friends. It's all you know. It's almost like Burning Man. You know, like yeah, Burning Man people find each other. They know right. where they have a bar that they go to. It's the same yeah. kind of deal. Same thing. Anywhere you go, yeah, you can man. Find, you can find some people with some mutual. And it's not just respect. in the states either. It's like yeah. Europe, Japan, Australia, fucking Canada, everywhere. Dude, John, uh, I know we're uh, com- we're we're getting close to uh, the end here. Did Ava want to pop on and you know uh, have any oh, yeah. words of wisdom? Yeah. Yeah. You guys want to meet my my little eight year old spunky blonde person? Yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah, wondering bro. if she has any thoughts on uh, what we're talking about here. She, she might not come out, man. She might be a little shy. <laughs> yeah, I, I she might be that. shy. You know? Hey, come talk to a couple of uh, weird crazy old, old guys. <laughs> oh, there she is. Yeah. Hey, Ava. Ava, how are you? Hi, Ava. Hello. How you doing? Good. Have you heard any good music uh, with your dad lately? What do you like? Nope. Um, <laughs> really? Not even. A, there's nothing. There's nothing out there. Okay. What's, that's what's fair. your favorite? What's your favorite band right now, Ava? I don't have one. No. Uh, what kind what of stuff kind of, do you like to listen to? What kind of music do you like? I don't know. Like dance music. <laughs> Eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> She's got plenty of time to figure it out. He's already smarter than you, man. Yeah. As our friend Tony DeTori once said, she's got all the time in the world. You know, I know we're we're winding down here, and um, I appreciate every every time we go through and uh, we meet a really awesome person such as yourself. So much appreciated. Pete, would you say this this music is no longer now in your mind just for fourteen year olds? I knew I had. How did I know you were gonna ever bring that up? I said I said John's in his room listening to music for fourteen year olds, a long time ago, and he's never let me, let me live it down. No, I haven't. It's been seething in the back of my brain. <laughs> you know what though? That's still not inaccurate though. I wouldn't say that's inaccurate. <laughs> Seriously though, like I still listen to mostly '90s music, whether it's hip hop yeah. oh, or yeah. hardcore. Yeah, that's my I mean, favorite shit. I still listen to it like all the fucking time. I think we can all agree that the '90s, across every genre and subgenre, was a renaissance in music. Yeah. If you were into something, I mean, you had bands from every across the spectrum emerge yeah. and be incredible in that yeah. time. So we can all be thankful for that. That's for yeah. damn sure. The biggest mistake the boomers ever made was uh, stop listening to music in like '86 or '87. Yeah. You know, they yeah, missed sure. every. They missed a lot of good music and. Uh, uh, that's unfortunate for them and uh yeah. walter i really appreciate your time keep us posted on uh the release of that record so we can uh talk about it amongst our friends yeah. and you know we'll, we'll do let's do this again john uh i'm glad you you uh finally uh ripped the seal off your uh, first episode of uh, five dollar buzz yeah, you know we'll be man. hearing from you again and uh before we I go will- though Yep. One last thing, I just want to um, I want to do a shout out to my boy Johnny Fagan, SD yeah. Bob Agars. 
Um, thank you guys for collectively ruining my life, man. Hardcore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And guys, I would love to uh, get this out to like the whole network of uh, your associates. And, you know, if there's anybody else that wants to come on and talk, you know, we'd love to, to do that open. because, uh, oh. you know, I feel like there's a lot of interesting uh, musicians out there that, uh, you know, more people should know about. So uh, if we can yeah. do anything to help that situation. And uh, I know Roger's got, there's a little bit left in there, Roger, you know, you've got the pocket dragon and uh, take us home. What do you got? Roger? <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say thank you for listening to $5 buzz. If you have any comments or questions or have any topics or anybody that you want to be a guest on the show, just email us at $5 buzz. And that's F I V E D O L L A R B U double Z at gmail.com. And you know, once we're done spacing out, we'll go ahead and hit that, uh, whatever I was, just, I blew it. I was great. I was on a roll. Fuck it. You're still on a roll. Good night. Keep that, Keep that <laughs> one. Stuart. I know you don't like the spoof, but you've got to do it. Thank you. I fucking hate the spoof. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>